I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, July 3rd, 2020, and this is episode 75 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. This episode is brought to you by Kensington Books' newest title from Lorelai Parker, Crushing It. It features a techie heroine, Sierra, a girl after my own heart, who needs to get over her fear of public speaking in order to pitch her new role-playing game at an upcoming conference. What better way to practice than at a local bar's diary slam and by reading old entries about her college crush on Tristan Spencer? Only thing is, Tristan's in the audience. Mortification ensues, but even as she reconnects with her old crush, she can't ignore her growing feelings for the cute, supportive bar owner. There's humor, second chances, and a good old-fashioned love triangle. This witty romantic comedy is perfect for fans of Abby Jimenez, Christina Lauren, and Sally Thorne. You can find Crushing It by Lorelai Parker wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. So yeah, in honor of our 75th episode, I would just like to give another plug for reviews. Reviews are really important for podcasts, and I would love it if you would review it on your podcatcher. Apple Podcasts um, is probably the most popular place for reviews. But yeah, if you give it a star or a text review, that would mean so much to me. Thank you in advance. And thank you for everyone who already has. So this week's best thing, it's Hamill Day. I got that from Alicia Rai, and I, I haven't seen other people using it, although I haven't been on social media a lot this week, but uh, it it sounds great, so I'm stealing it. <laughs> Hamilton, the musical with the original cast, is live on Disney Plus as of today, as of 3 a.m. this morning. Of course, I was not up at 3 a.m. to watch it, though I did get awakened at 4.40 by Sable, my oldest dog, who often wakes us up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Uh, she's like 14 years old. So we can't be too mad at her. If she's going outside, that's good because she doesn't always go outside, unfortunately. So Sable will pee inside. Sherman will poop inside. If you don't like watch him carefully, he does not like to have the grass touch his paws. So he does not like to be on the grass that much. So Sometimes he'll pee and then run back inside without having pooped. And then a few hours later, I start sniffing and I'm like, oh, God damn it. And then one of the cats has recently been pooping in the living room. So we got these little S-cat things, which are their motion sensors attached to a spray can of air so that it kind of can block off areas where you don't want cats to be. It works on some dogs. It works on Sherman, but not Sable. Sable will walk by this thing, get sprayed with air and not care. Sherman will run away. But it works reliably, at least on both of our cats. So I have three of them strategically placed around the two entrances to the living room. So right now, nobody is allowed in the living room. I don't know which one was pooping. We do have this little motion sensor camera from our alarm system that I've never hooked up that I might actually hook up to see which of the cats it is. But even having that information... I I don't know what else to do besides block off the entire room. Anyway, that digression. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Why did I even go down that path? Sorry, guys. I was talking about Hamilton. Oh, and yes, being up <laughs> this morning really early. So yes, I am planning on watching it at some point this weekend uh, and re-experiencing the joy of, of the original cast and of Hamilton in general. So my writing update. I have been working on... The short story that I'm going to be giving away uh, with pre-orders of Cry and Metal and Bone and to anyone on my newsletter, basically, who wants to have it. It is the epilogue for Cry and for Hush of Storm and Sorrow. And I think I'm edging towards a title. Today's brainstorm 
was that the title should be Coda of Metal and Bone. And I don't hate it. I liked epilogue. Coda and epilogue are you know, very similar. Coda fits my sound word kind of thing that I'm doing for the first word of the titles. And then since it is an epilogue of Cry, Metal and Bone, I'm not 100% sold, but I don't hate it. So that's where we are as of this moment. Um, I guess I'll decide at some point before <laughs> before August 11th, before I release it. Because I do have to do some sort of uh, cover for it. I don't know if I mentioned this last week. I'm going to do the cover. Uh, I'm not going to spend money on the cover since it's a free short story. But I did get a full paperback spread of the Hush of Storm and Sorrow cover. So the front half, if you've seen the cover of that book, there's a futuristic looking ship. It's really steampunk slash futuristic, so past and future. Uh, ship on these rocky waves, but there's the back of the cover, which is basically just water and um, the water and ra- waves and rocks. But I don't think anyone's really seen it. So since this is also an epilogue to Hush, I think it will make sense thematically, visually, to have the other half of the Hush cover be used for the ebook cover of this. That's my thinking anyway. I have been getting up and writing with my friend Inez Johnson on Google Hangouts. We get up every morning and I call her and do a hangout and we write for at least an hour. We do at least two 20-minute sprints, which has been helping me get my butt in the chair and get the work done. So this is, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be eight to 10,000 words and I've been fast drafting it and I've also been pantsing it. I At the beginning, I had a loose description of five scenes that I thought would encompass the basics of what would happen, but I wasn't completely sure, and I was still enjoying my two weeks off, so I didn't want to spend more time plotting because I really have to get this out by a certain date. So I was like, well, let me pants it, and let's just see what happens. So how to pants as a plotter? I think it's worth talking about because... Uh, you know, usually when I start a project, I have a detailed outline and I have a detailed outline for each scene before I write it. When I did this, I just had a few sentences for each scene and they were very loose. And of course, I was getting lost in it. The writing meandered a lot. I was fast drafting, not editing as I went, um, which is how I, I generally do it. But without having as clear of a map as I usually do, but it was okay. You know, I was trying to lessen my stress and just relax a little bit more about it. And so it's okay that things meandered and that I wasn't sure what was happening, or where I was going. I just let it flow. So I did that until yesterday. And then today in our writing session, I was like, okay, I'm at the end. I did all five scenes that I had planned, but it wasn't enough for the entire story. I still needed a conclusion. But I was just wasn't ready to write the conclusion because I had no idea where the story was even going. So today I decided to start the revision. I had about, you know, four fifths of the story done. I figure it's a good time to do a revision because my, the ending scene, uh, fast drafts are never any good anyway. So sometimes there's no point in even doing them. So what I did was I started with the story grid. I printed out the, the spreadsheet that I created, and I will link to it in the show notes if you're interested. And I like to do this by hand when I revise. So I had got, I bought legal sized paper. So I printed that on bigger paper. So I just have more space to spread out and look at things. Um, and so I charted each scene 
partially on paper and then partially inside of Scrivener in the metadata where you can put fields in. So I did the goals, motivation, conflict inside of Scrivener. And then on the story grid spreadsheet, it was what happens, the value shift, the polarity shift, the turning point, whether the, sh- the scene turns on action or revelation, the POV character, the day that it happens on, location, and the characters who are present in the scene. And doing this, and there's only mm, technically six scenes, I realized that half of those scenes didn't have any conflict in them. <laughs> I think it's one of the uh, it's one of the consequences of pantsing it. That usually when I plan the scene out, I plan out what the conflict will be. When I'm just writing, I'm just writing to see what happens. The good part about pantsing it is that it really allowed me to discover very naturally and organically what the conflict was, because I had the seeds of the conflict in there, and I discovered them as I was writing. And I was able to get back in touch with these two characters, who are the POV characters of the novella Hush of Storm and Sorrow, and I haven't um, you know, been in their heads for a while. So I reconnected with them. This is two years later. They're older, they've been through some things, and I did find it was a really organic way to get back in touch with them. And so, you know, I spent the week fast drafting. I spent today planning the revision. So after I did the spreadsheet, I went, I was like, okay, there's no conflict. There needs to be conflict. What is the story about? What is the point of this story? What am I even trying to say? So that brought me to the novel planning workbook, which is something that I got from a story coach that I worked with, a story grid editor, Savannah Gilbo. And she has a podcast, too, that you might want to check out. It's a podcast for fiction writers. It's called Fiction Writing Made Easy. I'll put a link to that also. I had saved this worksheet that she had sent me when I was working with her. I'm finding that it's a good place to go at the beginning of projects, which is when it's meant to be filled out. But since I didn't do any of this normal planning, even after, you know, at the beginning of a revision, I think it's it's really good. You know, I had to answer the question, why do I want to tell the story? What's the point of the story? And figure out the genre, the story grid genres, which are not the same as bookshelf genres. And this is, if you are new, the story grid is a book by uh, Sean Coyne. And I highly recommend it. It's a little bit more of an intermediate slash advanced tool. So if you're a beginning writer, might not be the place to start, but it's helped me so much. And I, I highly recommend it. And they have different a different view of genres of your story that uh, you really can go can dive really deep in. So this is uh, my genre is a love story, and inside of the love story there there's courtship, marriage, and obsession according to this method. So it's a courtship story, and even though the uh, it's kind of the end of a courtship story since it's actually an epilogue, but I still needed to have some sort of conflict. So I had to figure out what they each wanted, which the hero and heroine wanted. And what is stopping them from getting it? Just the, the basics, the basics of storytelling, which because I didn't plot ahead of time, like intuitively, I know all of this stuff, which is why I wasn't too concerned. But formalizing it and writing it down helps me and evaluating what I've written and realizing, no, that scene is just some people talking about some stuff and there's no conflict in there. There, Like I said, there's the seeds of conflict. And certain scenes did have the conflict. And once I realized that what I had written, I could dig deeper into what I had discovered while I was pantsing and then kind of formalize it. So after I finished this uh, worksheet, I went 
through and listed all the potential conflicts that I had sort of seeded in, in the draft that I've been working on. Then I went through and created note cards, which is part of my normal process. One note card for each scene, breaking down the scene into the the five commandments of storytelling according to StoryGrid with my own additions so that I knew the character's desire going into each scene, the inciting incident, the progressive complications, the turning point, the crisis, the climax, and the resolution. And uh, I realized I needed an extra scene. I realized what um, the main conflict was and just really got it down so that now, having done all of this work, and this only took a couple of hours actually today, I can approach the revision and go through each scene and the revision slash the rewrite, which is what it actually is. I'll be able to use big chunks of it, but my revisions are always rewrites anyway, so it's not unexpected. I don't know that it will be any more rewriting than normal, even with the pantsing process. Because I, I think there's there's still a lot of good stuff that I got in there, even if I was meandering and didn't know where I was going. So now I have seven note cards. They are each full of the different steps that... Um, you know, the different elements that each scene needs to have in it. And I feel good about it. And so either tomorrow or Sunday, I will get started with the revision. According to my schedule, I uh, I have until the 17th or the 20th to really get this into shape. And then I need to get it edited. So that is the plan for writing. I didn't do a lot of work on researching um, the heist idea, but that's still percolating in the back of my mind, and I will be working on that in between things. Also, July is the beginning of Q3 for 2020. We are halfway through this year, and the end of the year cannot come fast enough, right? Whew, 2020. I guess sometime in June, I had done my sort of plan for the rest of 2020. I had to revise it because of information I got from my agent about uh, the contract that I have with Audible for the three novellas in the Earthsinger Chronicles. So I got a new deadline from them on that, which is fine. It just, just means I had to jiggle some things around. So I redid my schedule for the quarter. And I had been thinking about this. I was wondering if they made erasable highlighters. And so I Googled it, and they do. The same people that make the erasable, the erasable pens that I love, Friction, um, make friction erasable highlighters. So I immediately went to Staples and bought myself some erasable highlighters. The only colors I could find were pastels, which is fine, but it allowed me to do the calendar system that I do. I like to use erasable um, pens of some kind on them as I'm figuring out you know, how long every step is going to take and then marking it off on the month. So yeah, erasable highlighters are a thing and they are fantastic. Because I color code my schedule. That's the other thing. Like I color code each project. And then depending on it, sometimes I color code the the stage of the project. So drafting versus revision versus, oh, this is with, with the copy editor. This is with the proofreader right now. But right now I'm just color coding it by project. And that seems the simplest thing to, thing to do. So I have my various deadlines for this quarter and working backwards to get the schedule tweaked so that I'm not overwhelming myself and that I can, you know, make sure that my work schedule is kind to myself. And while I was at Staples, I picked up 
some new pens. So shout out to Sarah Cannon, who was talking about these pens on her YouTube channel, which is Heart Breathings. Also something I recommend, especially if you're into planning. Um, so these are the Sharpie S-Gels. And she was talking about them. And I was, you know, there when the highlighters turned around, there were the pens. I'm like, well, let me try these pens that she recommended. And they are wonderful. So this is the, I got the 0.5s. They didn't have anything smaller than that. And this is actually pretty good. Like I, I might like a 0.3, but I don't know if they even make them. Very nice pens, highly recommended. Before this, I had really been all about the Uniball, I think they're Uniball jet streams, and I would just buy big packs of them. But I don't know, the shine wore off. I started not liking them as much for some reason. They run out pretty quickly for me. So I was in the market for a new pen. <laughs> a new everyday pen. And yeah, these Sharpie S gels. Very nice. In reading, I read... Strange Love by Anne Aguirre. So it was recommended on the rec- the uh, Learning the Tropes podcast, which uh, is an- another podcast I really enjoy. And they pronounce her name Anne Aguirre, and I'd always thought it was Aguirre. I should ask her how to pronounce her name. <laughs> that would be the thing to do. But the book Strange Love is an alien romance. It is very alien. It is not a humanoid alien. It's a very, very alien alien, and this woman is accidentally kidnapped by him. You know, he's a cinnamon roll hero. She is a bonkers, crazy pants heroine who is very endearing. And I really enjoyed the story. It was very strange, hilarious, but like it shouldn't have worked. None of it should have worked, but it did. And I recommend it. So if you're looking for an alien kidnap romance, an accidental kidnapping, it's not one of those, you know, very dubious kidnapping um, sci-fi romances that are all the rage. It's very sweet. And it really makes you think about love and intimacy in different ways. Uh, and it's a dog. And uh, his name is Snaps. And he can talk because of the alien technology. So really good way of integrating a talking dog that's not annoying or cliche. So yeah, strange love. Anne Aguirre slash Aguirre. In other bonkers, crazy pants things that you can consume, I watched 365 Days on Netflix because I had seen people talking about it. And my husband was out of town and I had the TV all to myself. You know, we basically have one television in the house and it's fine. But sometimes negotiating the time when we want to watch things that the other person has no interest in can be a lot. So I, I tend to binge things that I know he has no interest in when he's not home. <laughs> and yeah, bonkers, crazy pants. I'm here for the sequel, you know, like bring it on. It is just as wild as everyone was saying. <laughs> and it's funny, I was uh, I was about a half an hour behind my friend, Inez, who was my writing partner. And uh, we were texting back and forth. And she was like, text me when you get to the lion part. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, I wish she hadn't spoiled it for me. There's going to be a lion in this movie? There's not a lion, like not like a live lion, but I texted her when I got to the lion part. And I'm like, what are we watching? What's happening? And her perspective was that it was not a romance. And I was like, it's just as much of a romance as Fifty Shades. There were a lot of parallels there. I actually thought this was a better movie than the first Fifty Shades movie, which is the only one I've, I've watched. And I haven't read the Fifty Shades books. But yeah, that was an experience. <laughs> The other recommendation I will make is the Deadline City podcast, specifically the episode with Jason Reynolds. 
who is a YA author. He's from DC. I haven't actually read him because he writes contemporary YA, and I don't read that. <laughs> like, I never read contemporary YA, but he is highly lauded and is apparently a very amazing author. And so Deadline City is hosted by Danielle Clayton and Zoraida Cordova, who both write fantasy. They're YA fantasy writers, among other things. Zoraida kind of writes everything. It was interesting because Jason Reynolds is not a fantasy reader or a fan. He admittedly hates dragons. <laughs> like, who hates dragons? But from his perspective, I understand. He's very reality-based. And I especially understand this because my husband is similar. Although my husband loves fantasy, like Game of Thrones, um, Lord of the Rings, like he's all here for it. But he doesn't read fiction. He only reads nonfiction and comic books, graphic novels. So if the only fiction he will consume is Star Wars related media, which is fine. You know, like as long as he's reading something, it's better than nothing. <laughs> but other than that, only nonfiction, because he's just very grounded in reality. And it seems like Jason Reynolds is coming from a similar place. But also, he doesn't like cliches or tropes. If you don't like tropes, you don't like tropes. Like, if they're not endearing and comforting to you, then I can appreciate that. Dragons, I guess, I mean, for him, dragons are cliches. And these fantasy tropes that people rely on and that fantasy readers love and find comforting in the way that, you know, romance tropes, romance readers find comforting. That's kind of why we, why we read them. They're not, it's just a good reminder that they're not the same for everyone. You know, everyone is not going to be like, oh, enemies to lovers. I am here for it. Like, if you tell me enemies to lovers, um, fake fiance, I'm there. I'm going to check out your book. You know, I might not love it depending on the writing, but I will at least give it a, a good shot because <laughs> those are my things. Those are my trips. Um, but they don't light up my other people's brains like that. We forget that people really engage with things very differently. And uh, the idea that in general, dragons are cliches is not anything that I identify with, but it was good to hear. He also said something about villains, and he likes villains that are forces, like societal forces, I think, as opposed to characters and people. And like two days later, I listened to another podcast where another author had the exact opposite opinion. So this was the Lit Nation podcast, and the episode was Layers of Tension with Catherine Arden, who wrote The Bear and the Nightingale which has been recommended to me very highly. And uh, it's on my TBR. I haven't read it yet. But she was like, you know, villains should be characters. And it's more engaging when they are people and characters and not like forces or, or monsters or something that's not, doesn't have a personality and uh, something you can sink your teeth into. And the fact that these two authors were saying the opposite thing, and they're in different genres, you know, Catherine uh, Arden, I believe she writes fantasy as opposed to reality-based contemporary things. So they're going to be coming at it from very different perspectives. And it just goes to show that take all advice with a grain of salt. You really have to interpret it based on the giver's experience and what the advice giver is actually trying to accomplish, because everything is not going to be for everybody. So much is dependent upon reader expectations, but also what you're trying to do as an author. Jason Reynolds is obviously, he's literary, so he's not in genre, and the goals are different, and his desire from his art, I think, is different than someone who, you know, has different ideas and opinions about the craft. And it's all valid. It's just um, 
just different. And I always like it when people disagree. I always like to see the different sides of, you know, issues. So both of those podcasts I listen to pretty regularly, although they are both very YA focused. If anyone knows of a really good craft podcast that is adult fiction, adult genre fiction, speculative fiction focused, like I listen to Writing Excuses regularly, which is the only one that I know of that is adult, craft, speculative so that's it for me for this week. My goals are to get this short story revised. I need to schedule some time with an editor to review it once it's done. And uh, yeah, that's probably enough for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next time. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.